We have gathered here as a community of faith. We are grateful for your everlasting goodness, remembering, devoted one, that you are loyal to us in all the stages of our journey. We offer our thanks and praise. Amen. Teach me your ways, O Lord. I lift up my soul. I offer my eyes to you. I offer my lips to you. I offer my ears to you. I offer my steps to you. Draw near to me and to this community. Amen. Hear the word of God from the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well. If even death parts me. This is the word of God. Good morning. I don't want to confuse pages. It may look like a lot of pages, but I'm really old, so I need, you know, big print, even with my readers, so forgive me. So good morning, all of you. Oh, that's real good. Yeah, okay. Uh, good morning. That's a little better. Thank you. So when Pastor Hazel asked me to speak about a biblical character or religious character, I flashed on 1957 when I was one of those kids on the Art Linkletter show. For most of you out here who are younger than me, the show's premise was getting four young people from a school getting them in front of an audience, asking questions, and letting them humiliate their families in a, on live television. For example, one of the questions I was asked, when is your house the cleanest? To which I responded truthfully, hardly ever. <laughs> right? Right. I attended American Lutheran School in Burbank, so the practice round, when asked, what Bible character I admired, I said, Ruth. I think we'd been studying her in Sunday school, and I really liked the sound of the word glean. Then in part because they altered the question when you were in front of television, without thinking I switched to the first thing that came to mind, Adam and Eve. Then they asked why, and so with all the gravitas of my seven-year-oldness, I said because they went around naked all the time. 
I never did apologize to my parents, but probably should have based on the number of phone calls from across the country that came in to them that night. So better late than never, my apologies to the late Pastor Danachek, my teachers at American Lutheran, and of course my late parents. I assume they were all horrified but hopeful that God would shelter me throughout what they probably guessed would be a colorful off-center life. So in thinking about Limitless and a Bible character, I decided to reread the books of Ruth. I thought long and hard about her life without a whole lot to go on, you know, stories written by men about women. So I read and reread her sacrifices for Naomi, her mother-in-law, and her sense of duty, and really tried to get into her mindset. But I have a strong 21st century lens on women's lives, as I was raised by an incredibly strong mother, two groundbreaking feminist grandmothers, a supportive progressive father, and a slightly crazy aunt who throughout her life called marriage legal prostitution. <laughs> so naturally, I continue to struggle, it's true, uh, with the notion of women as property, either biblical or political. And although I've stayed with this study of Ruth, I still struggle with it, um, as my perception of Ruth's core values, from my perception, aren't always the values that I've mastered those of loyalty, devotion, and bravery. So quickly, here's my made-up Cliff Notes version of the four books of Ruth, which take like five minutes to read. Ruth's in-laws plus her two sons left jo Judah, which is in the midst of a famine. They journeyed to Moab, where the sons married Moabite women. Ruth, a Moab, Moabite woman, or perhaps a princess, depending on your reading, was one of the wives. All three men died leaving all three women with no income, no means of support, and in the case of the two daughter-in-laws, no children. In reading about being a woman, in, a widow in biblical times, it seemed that women should marry another man as women could not support themselves. If husbands died childless, widows like Ruth were encouraged to marry their husband's brother or other men in the family so they could repro reproduce children to carry on the family name. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, decided to return to Judah and encouraged both daughters-in-law to stay in their homeland and seek a place with their families. But both begged to travel with her, maybe because I read somewhere that in worshiping their gods, Moabites would sometimes make human sacrifices. But ultimately, only Ruth, in a sense of loyalty and devotion to her mother-in-law, abandoned her family homeland, her religion, her sense of place, and her previous place as part of a family to follow her mother-in-law to a different land, leaving everything she knew for everything unknown. And following her mother-in-law, she cut all ties with the past and went bravely forward. A deceased husband, a lost friend, and a sister-in-law who stayed behind, a lost country, lost family, following Naomi to a new country, a new life, a new God. She was loyal, devoted, and brave. Then there's how Ruth provided for herself and Naomi. Naomi discovered that Boaz, a wealthy, kind, pious relative of her family, owned a field near town. Naomi encouraged Ruth to glean in his fields, although life-sustaining, definitely back-breaking labor. 
squirrel. Now about gleaning. Gleaning has been and continues to be an important form of social welfare, welfare for over 2,000 years. The Old Testament commanded Hebrew farmers to leave a portion of their crops unharvested and allow poor neighbors and strangers to come onto their land and pick up what was left for themselves and their families. In England and France, the government actually protected the rights of rural poor to glean leftover crops from nearby farms. As of 2015, there were over 20 gleaning projects here in California. Anyway, Boaz noticed Ruth, found out her family connection, and extended kindness and protection to her, encouraging her to remain with his female workers, directing the man to treat her well, and even giving him her some of the food from his workers' tables. Then at some point, for some reason, I've not quite figured this out, Naomi encouraged Ruth to go to where Boaz slept and to lie at his feet. He awoke, found her there, praised her virtue, and promised to take charge of her if her late husband's immediate kin failed to do so. He met with the family elder, elders who offered Ruth and the land to the next in line. That individual refused, depending on what I read, possibly because of Ruth being a Moabite. Therefore, allowing Boaz to take ownership of the family property and Ruth in marriage. And one of the big biblical connections is that from this union came they became the great-grandparents of David. She was loyal, devoted, and brave. So, but what have I learned about this? Uh, as I approach 70, scary, limitless becomes an interesting word, sometimes empowering, sometimes depressing. Right now, I think I'm brave in many ways. Sometimes brave when I try to bring calm and reason excuse me, to quarreling work groups, sometimes stupidly brave, especially when talking truth to power that really doesn't want to hear it. I'm very loyal to those who have earned my respect, and I generally stay loyal to them, unless something dramatic happens to end the trust. However, I wonder how limitless my bravery and loyalty will continue to hold up in this process called aging. But devotion is completely different based on the definition of the word and in the reality of how I live my life. I sure don't think I have devotion thing down. Even as a lifelong Lutheran, I have always followed my faith like Burger King or Frank Sinatra. I've done it my way. It amused my parents, especially my father, bless his soul, but annoyed most of my pastors. I question because I'm a cynic. I'm a cynic about a whole lot of things possibly because I've worked in HR for over 42 years. But I also believe some of the stories in the Bible, but I don't believe all of them. For like, hello, Methuselah, 900 years old, I'm not buying it. And I also, again, I've already said this, I don't necessarily tr blindly trust narratives about women written by men. So where do I find devotion in Ruth? In one of the articles I read, Ruth was unhappy with some of the practices of the Moabite religion group, people, country. So she did not have a strong relationship to it. But still, what was it like for her to leave her faith behind? 
good friend recently returned from, the whole, from Christmas in the Holy Land and showed me pictures of the caves where the Christians hid to worship together. What deep devotion they must have had. Would I be brave and join them in their ways of worship? Would I be stupidly brave and announce my faith out loud and surely die? If I was in Ruth's place, would I pretend I was following the God of my new land and worship as appropriate for a woman at that time while privately remaining devoted to my old ways? Would I, could I willingly give up my God to worship another, especially after changing so much already in my life? She was loyal, devoted, and brave. Her sense of devotion and braving, bravery and leaving behind what she knew to go to an, um, an unknown land is overwhelming, but also reminds me of almost all of us, at least those of us who are not Native American. Like Ruth, in the last hundred years, my relatives left everything to go to a place where the hope and dream of a better life existed. In my case, my relatives were seeking a life without potato famine or anti-Semitism. When they arrived in America, most of them were pretty lucky. They were certainly luckier than the immigrants in Ruth's time, facing unknown challenges, an unimaginably hard new life, inhabiting a place where they would not be part of the ruling clan. That took incredible bravery. Today, we have a whole new generation of immigrant hopefuls who also face horrific challenges along the way, along that lengthy path to, to the promised land of America. Then, once they do arrive, most face months, possibly years of incarceration, separation from their families, often humane treatment, sometimes even death 24 in the last three years, while waiting for their new and better world to begin. What unlimited bravery, faith, and devotion must it take to trust that you'll find a life worth living at the, end, at the end of that incredibly arduous journey? While I was considering Ruth's story, I thought about some of the young, mostly Hispanic women I know from my work at many mansions, as well as Hispanic female friends. As I learned the stories of some of their childhood faith, I was frankly shocked that for some of them, the name of Christ does not bring comfort. Listening to their heartbreaking stories, I cannot fathom the physical abuse and emotional pain some of these women have had to overcome, all inflicted on them in the name of Jesus. What happens to a child's heart when their faith is weaponized against them? Do they go forward like Ruth and embrace a new faith? hoping it will be more fulfilling and enriching than the last? Or do, you, do they, like so many of my friends, give up their faith entirely? I cannot imagine giving up my faith and my hope and my heart breaks for them. My prayer is that in your role as a Hispanic serving institution, you will continue your work developing a safe place for all Hispanic young people who are coming here so they can understand they have a safe refuge here. Let them know that they are safe in a place that will help them discover that Christ's love is limitless 
that they are enveloped in God's grace and are loved and welcomed just as they are. Possibly then, and over their time at CLU, these young people will experience God's grace as it is lived through each of you and possibly help rekindle in them a faith practice that provides ongoing comfort and ultimately hope and joy. As for me, I know my faith is sometimes a sanctuary, sometimes a crutch. But my good news is that as a Lutheran and a follower of Christ, I know that it is there always. It's limitless, always present. I believe in God's eternal grace, grace that I don't ask for, grace that I often feel I don't deserve, but grace that is always there surrounding me everywhere I go. I know, I know I have limit, limitless grace on my flawed faith, my flawed devotion, my flawed life. As I enter this last portion of my life on earth, may I allow this grace to surround me as I continue to look, to listen, to study, and because it's me, question, what will enhance and grow my relationship with Christ? And show me how I can live honorably among all the peoples of the world. Conversely, may God's grace Grant me the knowledge to know what will detract from those relationships. I pray that I continue to be granted limitless grace along my path as a follower of Christ. May this, may this grace grant me continued but wise bravery, healthy loyalty, and hopefully a better understanding of what true devotion really means. My prayer for you is that God's grace surround you and provide you with kind, supportive, loving people in your life whose love is limitless and who are loyal, devoted, and brave. Amen. We pray. Wonderful God, you call us to love without limitations, to love our enemies, to confront injustice, to share bountifully with the poor. Bless us as we leave this place. Give us the blessing of a faithful spirit and a willing heart. Amen. May God center you in truth, reminding you of God's unlimited and trustworthy love. May the peace that surpasses all understanding surround you this day and every day. Amen. I invite you to share a sign of God's peace with those all around you.